Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed brought to you by Whole Whale, well, we're talking about how tragedy is being remembered at 9-11, 22 years after uh, the fateful day. We're talking about some data on compensation for male and female CEOs in nonprofit sectors, some documentaries coming out. Nick, how's it going? It's going great, George. How are you? I'm doing all right today. I think there's some interesting things we're seeing in September with a lot of nonprofit charity movies coming out. We have Uncharitable. We have uh, a HBO documentary. I don't want to jump it, though, uh, because we do want to start with uh, news about how 9-11 was commemorated uh, this year in New York. Yeah, absolutely. I can start us off. So our first story, as you mentioned, is that as we record this on September 12th, yesterday, when we wrote the nonprofit newsfeed was, of course, September 11th. George, this is, I think, our, our second or third anniversary on podcast. Um, and we also, we all like to do a, a little shout out just to commemorate. You and I are both New Yorkers at heart and it's something that, that hits home. So uh, the focus for our write-up this week was that the anniversary of September 11th also coincides with the opening of a new performing arts center. So the current World Trade Center has multiple buildings, but this was one of the last prongs of the essentially decades-long process of rebuilding. So the World Trade Center is uh, jointly operated by the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, and it's announced the opening of its new performing arts center. And the executive director of the arts center says, the memorial is here for people to come and grieve and pay their respects. The museum is here for people to learn, be aware, and never forget. And the Performing Arts Center is here for people to celebrate life and really celebrate the resilience of New Yorkers and the country, which I think sums it up perfectly. So this comes at a time when arts are struggling a little bit in the city. I think it could provide a meaningful jolt to the creative ingenuity that in many ways has defined what makes New York great. We also wanted to highlight the efforts of the folks over at 9-11 Day, which has turned tragedy into action by encouraging folks to do good deeds across the United States and has actually become the largest national day of service in this country. So really paying it forward. Yeah, uh, my mom was a, a lifetime employee of the Port Authority of New York, New Jersey. And so there were many memories that I had of the area. Great to see a performing arts center being added to the amazing tributes that are in that area, of course. And yeah, our friends at 911day.org are, you know, still championing the way that we should, I think, as a nation, remember that tragic day in a way of action. And I uh, love, love seeing them year after year pushing the narrative of giving back on a day where so much was lost. So well done, 911day.org. All right. There's a compensation report coming from Candid's 2023 nonprofit report finding that female CEOs make 73 cents on each dollar for male CEOs, which I feel like is in line with 
macro trends of female compensation in the marketplace, I was just so surprised to also see this reflected in the nonprofit sector. Nick, anything else to add on this one? Yeah, George, I think you really you really hit it on the head there. Of course, we we talked about kind of gender inequity on this podcast. And I think what strikes me is almost the imbalance, right? I think the nonprofit sector, the nonprofit sector has come such a long way and is a sector that is thinks and or talks a lot about issues of equity and inequality. But this is quite disappointing to see, to be honest. Maybe a, a wake-up call, right? That, you know, talking and convening uh, frameworks and et cetera, and DEI statements, all that stuff is is just the beginning. And when we look at, in this case, outcomes with regards to uh, CEO pay, the, the difference, the stark difference is, it's honestly shocking. Yeah, and this wasn't a little online survey either. They have done what seems to be the most robust analysis of 120,000 different tax-exempt organizations for the fiscal year of 2021. And that's, you know, a lot of data. And frankly, it's all available in the 990s. There's no sort of hiding that compensation pay. The top three highest paid people in a 990 are revealed at a nonprofit. It is just part of that disclosure. And so you can just run that analysis uh, for for anybody to see. So, you know, if you're ever curious about what the compensation of what the CEOs or high paid individuals are of a nonprofit, go take a look at the 990. We actually uh, end up using our, our friends at, oh, what is it? Oh, I'm blanking. Cause. Cause IQ. Cause IQ. Cause IQ. <laughs> I'm not cutting that. Yeah, check out kaizaiq.com if you're if you're trying to check out the individual 990s. But I appreciate this work being done by Candid to, you know, reveal what is in the data. Yeah, no, George, I absolutely agree. One number that stuck out to me was that women represent the majority of CEOs at smaller organizations, but they represent less than one third of CEOs at the largest budget organizations, which means that Perhaps unsurprisingly, I think probably a lot of nonprofits see women overrepresented, not in any way a bad way, right? But a lot of nonprofits have, you know, just skew woman heavy in staff. Um, but that's not making its way to large nonprofits that are large in size um, at all. Like that's a, that's a two to one disparity there. So clearly there's a ton of work to do in, in bringing equity there. All right. I'll take us into our next story. And George, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Um, so this is from Rolling Stone, but HBO um, has just announced a three-part, essentially mini documentary series called Savior Complex, which follows missionary Renee Bach, who at a young age was encouraged via the spirit of missionary work to go to Africa and care for malnourished children. However, in the process, through a series of kind of unexplicable circumstances, began performing invasive medical procedures on these children. And 
hundreds of children dying within her care and nurses and the trailer, which I encourage you to watch, say that Renee was was Googling essentially medical information as she was performing uh, these procedures on children. The victims, particularly the mothers of the children who died, granted, a lot of them did not die. Right. But many did in the care of this facility run by Renee Bach. Many did die. The victims feel that they have not been compensated and then justice has not been brought. Nothing happened to Renee Bach, despite performing not even with a medicine without a license uh, of any sort, but medicine without any, seemingly any training whatsoever. This woman was not even a nurse um, or a nurse practitioner, let alone a doctor. So uh, we're going to get a spicy documentary uh, dropping. Um, and this. Uh, uh, coincides actually in the same kind of uh, same week as the documentary Uncharitable. So a lot of kind of big reckoning documentaries for the nonprofit sector coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks. But George, what do you think of this story? Um, there seems to be narratives that uh, people are kind of done hearing about this woman. They want to, her story to just go away and not elevate her. She very clearly is interviewed in this documentary. People seem frustrated that this person got to kind of tell their side of the story, quote unquote. Uh, what's your take on this whole situation? I think less about the individual, but larger about the system of savior complex and in their summary saying, hopefully addressing the wider question around white saviorism and the ethics of foreign aid done in the name of humanitarian and religious ideas. And I think this is incredibly important as we sort of hold up the mirror on whether or not the types of aid provided by various institutions are actually helpful or harmful. In this case, allegedly, as many as 800 children uh, died uh, at her hands. And so while I think a lot of this had a lot of social media judgment, and I, I think the court of Twitter appeal lacks a little due diligence. Uh, I think the truth ends up lying somewhere in the middle. And frankly, if in the middle of, oh, a 19-year-old went there, practiced medically on children from the good of her heart, ended up killing so much as one child, that's too many. And I think hopefully this leads to additional regulation because as you mentioned, there's no extradition for this. There's no manner of penalty for you know, even if you in mean best of intentions, if you tried to do that in the United States, you would be subject to the law malpractice. And I think even criminal uh, criminal negligence, I, I, like the book, frankly, you're not allowed to kill children if you don't have a medical license. You're not allowed to kill children if you do have a medical license. Like it's disturbing. And it when especially when it's done under the banner of humanitarian aid and uh, sort of a religious umbrella. It, it makes me a little sick, actually. Um, but I'm waiting to see this documentary. I want to try to look at it and uh, see you know, how I feel about it. I want to be very clear, uncharitable, actually, uh, as it happens, is the Dan Pallada narrative, which is actually very positive, and that's coming out in uh, middle of September as well, which is talking about how the overhead myth impacts the, the upside potential, as I understand it, for uh, nonprofits in our country to do <laughs> do more effective work. <laughs> very, very different. Very, very different. Um, but I think both are really important, right? And I think that being allowed to have these conversations about 
what does it mean to run an ethical charity? How do charities fit into our culture? Um, what types of charities should no longer uh, be held up to the the standard, whether it's, you know, religious missionary work, which, you know, not all of them are bad, but what makes charities good or bad? Um, I think that, that those are important conversations to have and they're worth having uh, because the longer we go on without having them, uh, the less trust the charitable sector has and the less good that can ultimately be done, right? Um, we talked, George, about trust, uh, that, that big trust report that comes out every year. Charities are among America's most trusted institutions, uh, but they're slipping, right? They're slipping with all the other institutions. So as yeah. news media- They're falling like within a couple points of, you know, and you know, we'll wait for that. I think the Edelman report coming out. Uh, they fall within a couple points uh, of businesses at this point. And, you know, having this come out on, you know, uh, national level HBO, pushing it out there, you know, I don't know how much it'll be. Uh, taken up, but you know that that hurts, right? Uh, it it doesn't take much to ruin a reputation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, George, we actually want to talk about kind of a. I, I mean, this is a disaster story in the literal sense of the word, but also brings up some interesting questions. Um, our next story uh, is we we linked to the Washington Post in here, but um, of course has been all over the news, and that is the earthquake in Morocco. Um, so this was one of the most powerful earthquakes to hit the region um, within the past, uh, essentially, century. Um, and so there's lots of questions as Moroccans and remote villages complain about the lack of uh, state assistance and aid. Um, lots of questions also about the resiliency of buildings. Many of the buildings were made in uh, kind of uh, mud-style brick um, at brick is notoriously uh, uh, susceptible uh, to the impacts of earthquakes, and I, I think now the death toll, sadly, is is well over uh, two thousand, and and likely expected to to rise in the next uh, days and weeks. So, um, we we like to talk about these uh, to bring attention to them. Um, uh, but yeah, George, what 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 do we think about this? I think it's interesting in the order of our of our reporting and our listing of stories today of like whether you question foreign aid from the United States, but in Morocco, they're, you know, according to this report from, you know, a couple places I'm looking at, like courthousenews.com, Morocco still weighing offer for US aid after deadly earthquake, reportedly nearly 3,000 people, possibly more at this point, uh, have been reported dead from Friday's earthquake and so the question is you know what is what is their you know stance on accepting foreign aid from the united states um and i think there are you know some mixed messages coming through but there are clearly uh folks offering ways of, of donating in order to support the devastation and rebuilding in, in morocco absolutely we'll continue to follow this um but i think earthquakes are particularly tricky um, because there's no warning for earthquakes, or if there is warning, it's minutes, seconds, right? Um, so there's uh, not a lot a government can do to prepare. Um, we talked about actually similar dynamics a little bit um, in Turkey um, and how that actually had some implications there, talking about the earthquake. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, just hope that um, Morocco and Moroccans uh, exhibit 
uh, resiliency um, and are able to bounce back. George, how about a feel good? Yeah, which one are you going to choose? All right, I'm going with this one from CBS News, where a nonprofit deploys high-tech barge to collect plastic from rivers. So um, these barges, uh, if you watch the video, you can see them. They look like little, I don't know, what, what are those boats? The, I don't know, they look like barges. <laughs> uh, uh, but Barges with cranes on them, right? With, barges uh, with excavators cranes. on them. Absolutely. Um yeah, so uh, the nonprofit um, that runs them is called Ocean Cleanup. Um, and the goal is to ultimately collect 90% of floating plastic pollution from the world's waterways, which is a uh, noble goal. Sounds like a challenging one, but uh, I don't know. It's so cool, right? It's such a, it's one of those things where it's such a simple problem with such a simple solution and it's still so hard to execute. So uh, it's amazing to see people giving it a shot. Well, I'll just say here that I'm also a big fan of ocean cleanup because they're you know they're focused on the waterways and the ways that rivers lead to ocean uh, plastic, and so they do a phenomenal job with video footage, right? Like it'd be one thing to like do this sort of cleanup in a corner and just you know report on an overall number, but what a great example of bring a camera a and example. tell that story, put it out there. And they just have tremendous videos for, you know, showing the actual impact of the work, which leads to like, hey, there's momentum. Yeah, it's an intractable problem. If you understand the like, you know, floating plastic island in the middle of the Pacific, the size of Texas is like, we you know, throw your hands up. I think watching groups like this uh, do the work and frankly, tell the story uh, on social media is a great example. So the very least, take a look at what their digital footprint looks like and the you know, art of storytelling that they're employing is spot on. And, and, and news outlets certainly pick this up as, as well, which gives you another bite at the apple. All right, Nick, I do have a question for you. Why did... Okay. We like, hear me out, though. Like, why did the blood drive turn away Taylor Swift? Oh, no. I don't know. I think you do know. They heard she has bad blood. I'm not oh, going to sing it, but those that know, know. Uh, however, I will add, because I'm trying to add some facts to this, that traditionally January is a month where blood is most needed due to reduced donations, uh, increase in sickness and snow disruptions. Though I will say the current call by the American Red Cross is that their uh, coffers, maybe that's the wrong word, their blood supply is... Uh, actually dropped lower than uh, 20 to 25% for where they feel like it should be uh, due to summer travel disruption, disaster travel. And so they're, they're looking for increased blood donations. If you're out there and you have blood to give, uh, consider uh, scheduling something. Awesome. Thank you, George. Thanks, Nick. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 